tailgate show on 995 107.5 The Bus and Bigfoot Country Legends and simulcast from the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Now, here's Thomas Frank Carr and Aeneas Hawkins. It's a cold one outside of Beaver Stadium. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, Aeneas Hawkins with me. It's uh, it's frosty, I think, even from the fan perspective. Walking in last week versus this week, Aeneas, were two very different things. Uh, part of it might be the weather. It's obviously Thanksgiving week. Students aren't here, but the crowd, I wouldn't expect a sold-out crowd for a noon game against Rutgers after Penn State has lost two, their two-game season. Uh, but it will be nice weather today, considering it is the 18th of November. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. 48 degrees today, sunny. Uh, in the shade, it's cold. We had rain overnight, so it's just kind of damp and everything's uh, drying off. But should be good weather for the game today, bright and sunny. Your game day forecast brought to you by CenterCare. In need of rehab after hospitalization or injury, have a choice in your rehab. Uh, you have a choice in your rehab provider. Set and meet your therapy goals with the CenterCare rehabilitation team. Call 814-278-6000. Online at centercare.org. As I said, I'm Thomas Frank Carr, former Penn State defensive tackle, Nias Hawkins with me. We are talking about Penn State football versus Rutgers at noon. But really, we're talking about the Penn State football uh, shakeup uh, this week after the Nittany Lions fired offensive coordinator Mike Yersich. There's no other place that we can really start because that is going to affect this game today. Everything we've talked about all week long has been about how does the Penn State offense get back on track. So let's just start there, Nias. I want to get your thoughts. We haven't had a chance here on on, uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel or here on the bus to have your kind of thoughts heard. So somebody who's invested in the program, how, what were your feelings after the, the news broke on Sunday? Well, I think the timing of the decision was really the most surprising part of it. Obviously, midseason still. To me, that says that Coach Franklin uh, you know, has his list as he always does and wants to get started on that process sooner rather than later. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a hire is made uh, and he's around for bowl prep and he's at the bowl game and he's able to kind of see how Penn State football operates. I know that's Coach Franklin's preference uh, when that's an option. I mean, But those, those situations aren't necessarily a given that they're able to do that with different situations the coaches are in around the country where they're still playing and all those things. But I will say, they elevate Jaywan Sider and Ty Howe uh, into a more prominent role, calling the offense, uh, developing the game plan, and that's something that Coach Franklin always uh, is involved in to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, but I would assume even more so with, with two guys who haven't done it uh, at this level yet. But uh, I know that Coach Howe and Coach Sider are two guys that the players really respect. They're probably two of the more respected coaches on staff from a player's perspective. Uh, so if nothing else, I know that the offense is going to play hard for them and, and do what they can to put the offense in a better position to win. Yeah, so what should fans expect today in terms of is it going to be radically different? Is it going to be subtle? Will will anyone really notice if, uh, you know, if the offense operates the same way and gets more yards, points, and scores generally – like, are fans going to notice a difference, do you think, from last week to this week? Uh, I, I mean, I think a, a, any difference between last week and this week is probably going to be exasperated to an extent because <laughs> right. I mean, you, you did just fire the offensive coordinator. You got two new guys in there doing the job. Uh, but I don't think it will be too drastically different. Uh, the two areas, obviously, that I think will be different are the tight ends because Ty Howell was a tight end coach. They're going to get a lot of looks this week. They're going to have a lot of plays drawn in to try to get them going, yeah. uh, which, you know, because he's the tight ends coach, it seems like a little bit of favoritism but it's also something that we have called for on this show multiple times throughout the year. Uh, And I expect to see the running backs continue to get involved with Jay Wan Sider. Uh, As far as the play calling, though, it's – 
it's tough to completely change an offense at this point in the season. That's not really realistic. Uh, it's just a matter of now you have two new guys making decisions on which of those plays to call, uh, and that's where the biggest differentiating factor will be. And that's something James Franklin brought up um, this week specifically was game day was not up to the level that he expected, so changing what happens on game day. Um, the subtle tweaks in an offense. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's talk about Rutgers for a second, the opponent. Um, the, there's, there, this is really a no-win situation for Penn State, even if they win, because if they win, you beat Rutgers, you're supposed to beat Rutgers. Um, if you lose, oh my gosh, you lost to Rutgers. Yep. So I guess, like, what's the outcome today, and does it... Uh, it's a legitimately good defense they're about to face. So what did you see just generally from this defense on film when you were watching them? Well, I saw a secondary, uh, corners and safeties that were able to play man-to-man coverage and do it a lot, uh, do it at a high level, which is not something that Rutgers has always had. Uh, we've seen Penn State's receiving options struggle to beat some man coverage. Uh, yeah. We've seen Drew Aller a little bit more hesitant to throw some of those 50-50 balls in man coverage, uh, and they're going to force them to try to do that today. That's their bread and butter as a defense. Their defensive line uh, will get more into later but they're stout up front they do a pretty good job of staying in their gaps being accountable and their linebackers are really solid it's a solid group they play off of their defensive line they make them right and they play physical uh this defense talked about you know we're not just saying this uh that's a legit defense yep. they've done a good job greg shiano has built a, a defense over there that is respectable uh and the penn state offense you know you lose your oc you got two new guys in there it could be a perfect storm i'm hoping it's not uh but it could be a tough day for the penn state offense to get moving it's a defense, and some of the things we'll get into of why, it's a defense that matches up with Penn State pretty well. They do the things that have been the kryptonite of the Penn State passing game specifically all season long. So uh, that's your primer. Let's talk about the other thing going on today, which is senior day. Yeah. Uh, how emotional is this for football players? How emotional is this for you? It's, it's very emotional. Mrs. Dawkins agrees as she walks by. Uh, my guy Nick is walking today. I mean, it's an emotional time. Uh, you invest so much into, into this program and into your football careers. And for some guys, this will be the last time uh, they put on pads and cleats uh, and they do it in Beaver Stadium. This is the, the mark of the end for a lot of these guys. So it's an emotional time. You know, this is a dream for all of us. Uh, and sometimes when you're in the mix of things and you're investing so much and you're working hard, it's tough to stop and appreciate where you are. And for a lot of guys, they don't realize everything that's gone on and how much it's meant to them until a day like today. Does it affect positive or negative? This is, <laughs> you're talking about the people side of things, right? Uh -huh. it's, you're talking about, like, the emotions. And uh -huh. I'm, then I'm like, but how does that affect their play? <laughs> will they be focused? Well, <laughs> I will say, you, you, when you know it's the end, you play hard. Yeah. Um, you're soaking everything in. You want it to be something that you can look back on in 30 years proudly uh, and remember this experience positively. So they're going to play hard. They may be a little bit emotional, but at the end of the day, they got a job to go out here and do. They still have another game next week and the bowl game. Yeah. So it's really not the end of their careers, and that's really where it can be super emotional. What do you remember? What do you remember from your senior day? Uh, man, well, I was <laughs> – so my senior day, I didn't, I didn't walk. I knew I was done. I knew I was a senior, but I knew I had to medically retire, and I had to keep my scholarship to finish school and all those things. So I was strategic. I didn't, I didn't. So he wasn't emotional. It was no, entirely calculated. I, I, was, I was emotional, but I was emotional in the helmet. Nobody knew what I was emotional for. I remember PJ must have been looking at me and being like, Hawk, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? Um, but, no, it's, it's, it's one of those days where it – kind of culminates the entire experience and yeah. the growth that's happened and you start recalling you know when you were just an 18 year old kid coming into beaver stadium wide-eyed um and you appreciate those moments i know those guys today will too
It's a little bit windy today, so if you're driving on the way in, make sure you pack uh, your gloves, your hat, your coat. We have Sea Captain T. Frank here on the show again. Uh, as Adias has pointed out, I, I have a diverse but very shallow wardrobe. It does not go very long, and you've seen all of it now that we're 12, 10 <laughs> yeah, games, we're 11 now. games into the season. Uh, so we'll get to more of the Penn State Rutgers matchup, more about the offense, things that we want to see change, things that we're hoping to see on the field, all of that coming up on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, brought to you by the Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships and Blue White Illustrated. We'll be right back. There we go. These are your Penn State practice highlights. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We're nearing the end of the 2023 season, so we don't have many looks inside the program left, but subscribe to Blue White Illustrated on YouTube so you don't miss any breaking news, commitment breakdowns, or other off-season content. Today, we're taking a rare look at the Penn State offense during our weekly peek into practice. If you can't tell, I'm being sarcastic. We've looked at them every week. However, we're looking at a unique aspect of this group this week, the coaches. After Penn State fired offensive coordinator Mike Yersich this past week, the team needed to reshuffle the deck around from a coaching perspective. Running backs coach Jaywan Sider and tight ends coach Ty Howell were named co-interim offensive coordinators. During practice, Sider stayed with the running backs during the individual and skeleton portions that we get to see. Meanwhile, quarterbacks coach Danny O'Brien, who had a background role previously, stepped into a full role as the quarterbacks coach. Howell, a former play caller himself, was the one running the offense during red zone and pass skeleton work. Head coach James Franklin wouldn't comment on who would call the plays this weekend against Rutgers, but said it was a collaborative effort to get the game plan ready this week. The team needs to finish strong on offense and get back on track. Quarterback Drew Aller will face another stingy secondary with Rutgers in town. Getting the quarterback and the receivers on the same page has been a futile effort for most of the 2023 season, and they only have a few more chances to get it right. Playing well to end the season and finishing strong are always the focus of teams that aren't in contention for championships and resisting the urge to slide into the offseason. However, center Hunter Noizad doesn't agree with that. He says it's been business as usual and the team is still motivated the same way that they were earlier in the year before the move. I mean, I think that the the main thing is that, you know, we're just, we're just going to keep going. We're focused on winning this week. And I don't think that our, especially within, you know, position groups, our process doesn't really change. You know, we're still going to work just as hard. We're still going to put, put in the preparation we need to be successful on Saturday. This group will need to take the outside noise and internal conflict and use it as fuel for a good performance on the field. That's your look at Penn State practice. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. Let's get into senior day. Let's talk about what's going to come up this weekend from a recruiting perspective. We can fold in a little bit of the walking, not walking, all of that stuff. James Franklin press conference uh, dealt with that just a little bit. But, uh, Ryan, I do want to start with you. Final home game. What are the expectations of the type of players that are going to be at this game against Rutgers? You know, with that big game last weekend that we just broke down all that information. Now here's another home game. How's this shaping up from just a type of player involved? A little smaller than I expected because just like Sean, you, you, you know this. A lot of times for their season finale, you get more New England guys coming down. Like you kind of usually those season finales, you kind of get a little bit of a bigger list than you expect, no matter how the opponent is, just because guys playoffs are done and all that. Uh, but right now we've only got about two or three guys who are, you know, scholarship guys confirmed. 
uh, for this weekend. I wrote yesterday, Albert Hill, 2026 cornerback coming in from Akron, Ohio, which by the way, they have a game Friday night. So I'm very curious to see uh, if they actually do make it. They're absolutely planning to make it, but we've seen before uh, guys have playoff games Friday night and uh, you know, they wake up and they're like, man, do I really want to do that four hour drive right now? So be curious to see if he comes, Uh, but Albert's, without a doubt, the top prospect expected this weekend, four-star player, you know, 2026, as I mentioned, but, uh, you know, he looks like he's a potential top 50 guy. One of, one of Terry Smith's um, absolute top, top targets for, for the 2026 class. So keep an eye on him. And then Ben Howard too, I'll mention as well, offensive lineman uh, originally from Las Vegas uh, transferred to Sky Ridge in Utah this past year, Penn state offered, I believe in, I think it was like September, early September, somewhere in that ballpark has a handful of offers. Uh, really Penn state wants to get him on campus this weekend, see how he looks. Uh, I think that's the big thing is just kind of getting accurate measurement measurements on him, getting around him, meeting, uh, meeting his family and all that. And, and they'll go from there. Uh, how, how are the 2025 prospect, by the way, as I said, Albert is, uh 2026 so those are the two main ones right now it's it's there, there's some guys we're watching i wouldn't be shocked if one or two pop up tomorrow or uh you know there's something on the message board early saturday oh you know we spotted this guy but right now it's 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 a little smaller than than i uh would have expected fitz you got any thought about what's coming up this weekend yeah, it's a tough time. As Ryan said, that usually the last game of the season, you get those New England kids in there. With the way that the calendar lines up this year, this is the fi- basically the final week in New England of football. So uh, Luke Reynolds plays on Friday night. He's going to come down. There's some Avon Old Farm guys that could, could possibly make it. Um, but you usually like to have that that home game after Thanksgiving because that's when you get them because what they'll do is they'll play that last game and then the kids a lot of those places are boarding schools up there will go home for the Thanksgiving week for fall break and that's when you kind of have your window so you're kind of dealing with that last weekend in New England which is not ideal like usually usually it's a better list um, of guys that can come down after Thanksgiving or just right around Thanksgiving so um, yeah, New England kids uh, that are 19. Um, but uh, no, I think that, that <laughs> it's a. Yeah. It, I think it's going to turn out to be a better list. I, uh, we expect a couple of guys that that can possibly make it. But all in all, like you had West Virginia, you had Iowa, you had Michigan. Those are your big three. Then there's a big old gap, and this one's under that gap. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships have uh, celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation needs, home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee. With 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania, I'm Thomas Frankar. We're hanging out here outside the Bryce Jordan Center. Come join us. Come say hi. We had a great conversation in uh, in the break with some fans from BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Great time to sign up. Just want to mention that as well. We have a special YouTube promo, so if you're watching the Tailgate Show, you get two months for $1 when you use the promo code PSU one uh so we have a lot of stuff coming with coaching changes transfer portal we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show Aeneas but we're going to start today right now with the Penn State uh defense versus the Rutgers offense I think we all kind of know what's coming from Rutgers like Gavin Wimsett Kyle Manungai that's the offense so when you're looking at the way Penn State has played run defense so far this year um with the good and the bad all mixed in, what do you think of the matchup today? Well, I think they'll they'll be fine in this matchup today. I, I have no problem, no quarrel with the Penn State run defense as a whole. The only time that they've really been exposed, uh, you look at last week where they were able to get the ground game going, Michigan was able to, that is, 
the defense was out on the field way too much. The yep. only time the defense really is giving up anything explosive on the run is when they've been on the field uh, for way too long. So I think they'll find a way today uh, to continue to shut the run down. I've been pleased up front, uh, obviously, with the end play, but I also want to give credit to Devon Elise, Nakeem Beeman, Zane Durant. Uh, those three guys have stepped up in a big way, and we've had a lot of questions yeah. about their physicality and the size inside. I really haven't seen that as the reason Penn State has failed to find success in those two big matchups specifically. Uh, but today, looking at that Rutgers offense, I see more of the same. The defense has to be dominant, especially, I and mean, we've already highlighted the Rutgers defense and what they are capable of. If that Penn State offense is slowed down, it's going to be even more important that the defense is good again today. Is this a situation where you're going to find Penn State um, uh, shutting down a, an offense? Because it is kind of a one-dimensional attack. Uh, Gavin Wimsatt is actually a decent quarterback for, I think, the style of quarterback he is, which is more of that He's not even an athlete first quarterback. They use him in the run game. I think he really is is a pocket passer. He's not the worst quarterback they've seen so far this year, but it is not a it's not an offense that leans on the passing game. Everything in the passing game is opened up by that running game. So, do you think this is a situation where Penn State can have like they did last year? Uh, start one of those runs of a complete shutdown of the other team, run and pass, three and outs, turnovers. Is that something you're looking for today, or is it going to be a battle more than that? I, I'm definitely looking for that today because I think when you play an offense who is you know, pretty much one-dimensional until they get the run game going and then the pass game opens up, it, it, it leaves an opportunity for the defense to be able to shut the offense down completely. If they take that run away, you said it already. They're not super predicated as an offense on throwing that football around and beating you that way. So if Penn State's defense can come out here, take the run game away early and force them into passing situations and force them to shift their identity mid-game. I mean, we went up to Ohio State and did it. We shifted our identity and we saw how that went. It was a complete shutdown. Right. Uh, so no reason that it can't be done to Rutgers. And I would also say you get Rutgers into passing situations. I'm not very impressed with their tackles. That defensive end room should be able to feast on that group today. Gavin Wimsatt, this is something yeah. that I found super interesting looking at him, and you'd think he's got uh, like 400 yards rushing on the year. 303 of those are on designed runs. Only 77 is a scrambler. So Penn yeah. State in those third and long situations, quarterback contain has been a problem this year. But they've also gotten a lot of good stuff out of it. Last week, the third and long run defense was a problem. Third yeah. and ten plus. And I did a whole thing about that over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. So I want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, given what you get out of the Prowler package when you have three defensive ends on the field, zero defensive tackles, and you've got corners playing on the edge, is it worth it uh, knowing that there is a susceptibility to being run on even in third and long situations. Yeah, well, I mean, you said it. You bring on extra corners. You take the D tackles out, three DNs on the field. You're obviously losing a ton of size. And those D tackles, uh, shout out my D tackles who don't get any praise, but right. you got to have them on the field to stop the run consistently, especially against a team like Michigan. I think Penn State can still get away with running Prowler in those third and long situations. Rutgers is not Michigan up front. They don't have Blake Corm in the backfield. You can, you can run out there with three defensive ends, and they'll be physical enough to get you off the field in those third down situations. Uh, if they want to run the ball. But I think your point is a valid one. You take those D tackles off the field, you bring corners up and make them play more physical than they're normally used to playing, that does leave you in a liable position in the run game. It's interesting. Before the season, I asked Manny Diaz about his third down defense because at Miami, a guy named Greg Rousseau yeah. in the NFL uh, was playing nose tackle a lot in these third down situations. A guy similar to deny Dennis Sutton in terms of size, length, physicality, that strength, power. And then it's Chop Robinson running in that yeah. position here in this defense where you've got him and Abdul Carter in the A-gap. Um, just from a, from a perspective of the depth and talent of the defensive room, do you think they've done what they needed to do this year to hold up their end of the bargain um, up front? 
I feel like they've done more than hold up their end of the bargain. I, you know, we had a lot of a lot of conversation about the defense leading into the season. We knew that they'd be a good group, but I think that they've played like a great group. And you can make the argument that they're a top three defense in the country when they're playing at their best. Uh, in every phase, they've been pretty good. The, I think up front specifically, we knew what we were getting from Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. There was a lot of excitement there, but the depth on that defensive line, denied Dennis Sutton, Amin Vanover when he's been healthy. Zariah Fisher's done some good things. Yeah. They've played at a high level, too, and it's allowed them to rotate more guys and to keep guys fresh. So I think when we look back on this season as a whole, the defense is the positive. The defense yep. is the one phase of this team that was as elite as we thought it would be yep. uh, and even surpassing those expectations. Absolutely. I, I just want to make the point that when we talk about the Penn State run defense and even last week versus Michigan, and this is the most annoying part to me, Aeneas, is like they gave up some big runs. Um, but if you look at how those runs happened, a lot of times it was linebackers and corners not fitting their run gaps correctly. Yep. And the Penn State defensive tackles are going to have to own that for another year. Yep. When I feel like, as you just mentioned, above and beyond the expectations for those defensive tackles, that was one of the major questions. And they have, to me, from a run defense perspective, absolutely aced this year. They have gotten better each week. They have become a strength of the team. Yep. And uh, it feels like it doesn't matter. And that's a very frustrating thing when you, you know, not a fan, for, but from an analysis perspective, reality doesn't seem to match what you're seeing or feeling and you're watching because of all of these things. So from a player standpoint, how do you continue to do that in a game now where you're, you're uh, heading towards potentially another 10-2 season, 8-2 right now, really good team, but to still play with that pride and that motivation when it feels like even though you know you're doing a great job, the rest of the the rest of the viewing public doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. you got to be a group that's internally motivated, not externally. That's number one, and, and that's something we've talked about before and Coach Franklin has talked about before. Uh, when you look at that D-tackle room specifically, Devon Elise, Hakeem Beeman, uh, we'll just start with those two. You know, they're fifth-year seniors. They're older guys. They, they may not be getting a ton of credibility. The general public may not be giving them their flowers for the way that they played this year when they were a position in question. But at this point in the season, you still got a bowl game to go play for. They're fifth-year guys, both of of whom I know are going to go take a shot at the NFL and have those big dreams of doing so. Uh, and that's going to be crucially important uh, that they're able to go play at a high level. So that's always very good. Uh, so somebody here in the chat wants to know, uh, Emiers wants to know, good morning. Are you guys drinking coffee to stay warm? The hot chocolate is uh, on a premium. It's on high demand. It's Emeas. high demand. I'll tell you what, this is the best hot chocolate I've had since 2013. Uh, it's got me <laughs> wired over here. <laughs> I love the specificity of that. Is it you remember the exact time you had? I remember exactly where I was chocolate. the last time I had a hot chocolate this good. I was at a high school football. Actually, you were you were playing at a high school football game. I would have been watching a high school football game. Um, so the the defense in general. The last thing I want to ask about from kind of a big picture perspective is once again, not a dangerous passing offense, <laughs> and we talked about how elite this Penn State secondary could be this year. They haven't really had to do as much as we would have thought this year, have they? No. It's, it seems like a lot of games I kind of forget that they're back there. Right. Um, you know, I think the, the one game obviously that stands out is the Marvin Harrison Jr. game in Columbus yeah. where he was able to do some really good things. But Marvin Harrison Jr. may be the best wide receiver to come out of college football in 10 years. You know, yeah. he's going he's gonna to pop off and do his thing. But, you know, those guys, Kalen King back there got a lot of praise in the offseason. Johnny Dixon has quietly had a really good year he too. Yeah. Um, he's really proven himself. But the secondary, even to me, has done a, a good job. Other than that one game against Marvin Harrison where he had a great day, they have pretty much – 
lived up to the expectation of billing as well. Yeah, it's one of those situations where the the view, again the view is kind of negative because the one or two plays that they get to make in a game. Yep. If you get called for pass interference because oh of a terrible football, because the ball was thrown at your head, not goodness the head gracious. of the receiver, and that's just how it is in, in football is like, you know, the the underthrown pass, I think it was um, Greg Olson said this on, a, on an NFL game, the underthrown pass is the most valuable play in football because you're just going to get pass interference. Yep. And if you are put on an island routinely and then you – Nine, ten times do a great job, but the one time you don't, and that's what everyone remembers. So this is the uh, this defense. I feel like is just incredibly underappreciated, even though it's obviously the best side of the ball. Because Aeneas, what do we talk about all week long? We never talk about the defense. Never, never talk about the defense. And I, I also I want to address this comment in the chat that I said we talked about the corners. We yeah. gotta we gotta mention my guy Daquan Hardy, who really was not getting talked about at all in the offseason. It was all Kalen King. It was all Johnny Dixon, and for good reason. Those are both really good players. But Daquan Hardy has played himself into a position to go play in the NFL for a long time. Oh, yeah. He's done really well out of the slot, done really well on special teams. Uh, the Ohio State game, we talked about it off the air a bit. It was clear that they came into the game and said, you know, we're going to target number 25. We're going right at him. And it seemed like they threw at him three, four times in the first two drives, and he left with three or four pass breakups. Yep. To me, he's taken a huge step too, but I think you're right. The secondary, it's been hard to remember that they're even back there because they haven't been thrown at a lot. When they have been thrown at, they've been strapped up uh, for the most part. And I, this is the one situation last week against Michigan with that pass interference call against Kalen King. Terrible call, by the way. But those are the only things you remember from yeah. these corners when they're not making interceptions and making giant plays. So we'll see. Uh, it, I think it, it, it in general speaks to playing in the Big Ten. Is like there's a couple of good quarterbacks, but for the most part, not really. And, uh, and that's going to change all next year. We're going to see some different types of offenses entering the Big Ten. We're going to see what that does to the, the league as a whole. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. He's Aeneas Hawkins. We're going to get to uh, what I always like to think of as kind of the, the lighthearted part of the week. There we go. The part where, like, I, I don't know, I put some bed music to some uh, quotes. And uh, here's uh, <laughs> this week in Penn State football. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'd love to finish on a, on a really, really high note this year um, as a team and then specifically as an offense and then uh, at the quarterback position. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, so, so I feel good about that moving forward in terms of the relationships. Yeah, I mean, Drew is, you know, he's a young guy. I think everybody knows that. It's not a secret. But I think for his age, he carries himself very maturely and with a lot of confidence. Um, at the same time, he's not arrogant or anything. You know, I have a lot of respect for him. As for such a young age, he's extremely humble, but he does have confidence in his ability. The standard with him, too, is different. That's what I always tell people. Like, it's okay. And this is no shade to South Carolina, but it's just... I didn't feel the same pride in that locker room that I feel walking around at Penn State. Like it's, it's a certain pride and attitude we have here at Penn State, and we don't accept we don't accept people that live under a certain standard. So that's what that's what makes it different. You know, I think everybody has a lot of confidence in, in what they're going to do, and um, you know, I think the big thing is just kind of continuing to do things that we did well, um, and, and kind of putting a lot of our focus on that, um, and not getting too much out of uh, what we've been doing. Um, obviously, just because uh, the season's coming to a close here, so I think that um, you know everyone's got confidence in, in the two guys that we got calling plays versus uh, this week. 
Yeah, well, first of all, you know, Day-Day, when he got his opportunity, he did an unbelievable job of showing what he can do with the ball in space, creating explosive plays. So extremely happy for what Day-Day's done um, for this team, uh, certainly for himself also, because that's going to, you know, anytime you have a skill, you know, he's done a great job in our nickel and corner positions, but to be able to have the skill to be explosive in the return game uh, is always going to be a positive. So been very good for the team and very good for Day-Day. Caden Saunders still have a very bright future here as a punt returner. He catches the ball extremely well. Uh, and Caden has done a solid job for us, and I can only see him getting better. I'm not running the defense. I'm not running the offense. I'm not running the special teams. I'm involved in all those things, but I'm also involved in academics. I'm also involved in fundraising. I'm also involved in recruiting. I'm, I'm involved in every aspect of the program. Uh, and when you do it that way and you're not in one area, um, you need, I, I need Andy Frank to run the recruiting department and I rely on him to do that. Um, I need academics run like that. So I've been, I think I've been very, very clear on that, but I also want to be very clear. I also understand that ultimately I'm responsible for all of it. So if that's been ambiguous in the past, uh, I hope that clears it up. Penn State's uh, late move on the offensive line. They have been consistently going after offensive linemen late in the cycle, whether Vega Yuane, who you mentioned earlier, uh, Chim Diono. Uh, is Andrew Dennis, Is he does he fit that category, or is this kind of in the proper Penn State recruiting, because you mentioned might uh, sign in the early signing period and be a silent commit? I just I find that particular uh, cycle interesting, and they've gotten some, some good football players out of it. Does he fit into that category or do you think this is a typical recruiting process because they were on him this summer and now it's coming back around that's a that's a very good question and I'm, I'm not sure i know the answer to that because you look at the way venga had it he was committed to washington they had a coaching change there that was december until they offered him chimney was committed to old odu we kind of knew he wasn't going to end up there but like that was a late offer as well so this offer came a little bit earlier maybe just because of the unrest there at michigan state so a lean, yes, um, but it's a guy that they've known for for a long, long time. So, I, yeah, that's a that's a good question, Ryan. You got any thoughts on that? So it's just to me, it's similar though because they have a very good, complete class, uh, pretty balanced, right, at each position. And when you have extra scholarships to give, you're going to find not only you're, you're looking for the best players, yeah, but when you have depth or you can add depth to the offensive line like they're going to lean offensive defensive line oftentimes this is like same with the portal even when you feel like you have the numbers and everything there adding another guy there um is 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 a smart way to go i mean obviously wide receiver and some other positions we can talk about that need more depth uh cornerback will be one too but they need uh depth there from a uh you know uh, have experience perspective i guess you would right. say but uh, yeah i i think I wouldn't put them in the Vega chimney category, but at the same time, it is kind of, uh, you know, they, they finished this class a little earlier than they have in some other ones too. So, I mean, or they haven't finished yeah. it, but you know, they're already at 25 guys. Like they feel very good. If, if they don't add another 2024 commitment in this class, that that's okay. Like they're okay with that and they'll take those scholarships and, and bring it to the portal. So it's, it's similar in some, some ways, a little different in some ways as well, just because as Sean said, you know, he took a two day, unofficial visit to Penn State in the spring. So the familiarity compared to what they were with Chimney and Vega, a little bit, little bit different there. But uh, just just to kind of my thoughts on, on this is it's all about this weekend. It's all about Clemson. Where he stands after this weekend, I think will have a very, very big impact on where he ends up committing 
uh, on January 3rd, 4th, whatever that whatever that day is. So, yeah, he has Illinois set for November 25th. He has Purdue officials set for December 2nd. But, I mean, from everything I've gathered, it's, it's Penn State and Clemson and then, you know, those schools down here. I am curious to see coaching carousel gets moving. You know, is there a, a notable uh, upper tier power five school that comes calling? Wouldn't be shocked at all to see that. But uh, right now, from everything I've gathered, it's it's Penn State, Clemson, pretty neck and neck here. Um, and we'll, we'll see where things go. But he fits Penn State well. Like he really, he's a Big Ten kid, fits that pretty well. Penn State's uh, late move on the offensive line. They have been consistently going after offensive linemen late in the cycle, whether Vega Yuane, who you mentioned earlier. matchup today in this battle between Rutgers and Penn State at Beaver Stadium. To me, you got to focus on the Penn State offense and the Rutgers defense, but more specifically, you have to look at the Rutgers defensive line versus Penn State's offensive line. We've seen a few teams in a row now find some success against Penn State's offensive line, running some very fundamental stunts, uh, some very basic looks that they're giving this offensive line, and they've struggled uh, to pick up some of these blitzes and these pressures that defensive lines have given them. Looking at Rutgers' defensive line, their, their defensive ends are solid, uh, speed to power guys. They're not tremendous athletes, but they're physical, and they do a good job of compressing the pocket. And then you look on the interior they have three or four defensive tackles for the first time in a while they're able to rotate through games uh, and are pretty consistent uh, in staying gap accountable and being stout in the run game I, I look at that and the reason it's so important that the Penn State offensive line plays well is because looking back to last week it was very clear that for several reasons Drew Aller was unable to get comfortable 70 yards in the top 10 matchup we all know he's better than that uh, he knows he's better than that and the offensive line to me is the first place you have to look uh, in order to help Drew develop and continue to get better in these games. So against the Rutgers defense that's very talented, this offensive line has to find ways to step up uh, and play a better game. With that in mind, talking about that uh, defensive line, let's shift the focus then to the run game. Do you think Penn State has – this has been a hot and cold offensive line where they have looked great at times and they've done some really impressive things. And then other times, definitely not, especially specifically in the run game. How does that matchup work this week? Do you think that Penn State can attack uh, anybody up front specifically or this group in general uh, with the athletes they have uh, on the interior and then with the tackles? They should be able to run the ball, man. Uh, you look at their defensive ends. They are physical and pass pro, but I'm not necessarily convinced that they're the best in the run game, which are two totally different things from a defensive line's perspective. Uh, they've got one guy on the interior, number nine, who to me looks like he can be taken advantage of in the run game specifically. Uh, he's a little bit lighter. He gets tossed out of his gap every now and then. And to me, you got Olu Fashion, you got Sal Wormley on senior day. Run the ball behind those guys. Let them yeah. get going. Set the tone. Uh, and we talk about Nick Singleton and Katron Allen uh, and the entire run game being hot and cold, it would be wonderful to get Nick and Katron back into a rhythm to close out the season and leading into 2024 uh, with the momentum that they need to get back on track. How do you maximize those matchups? Because if there's one thing that I think has been pretty frustrating from a perspective of the offense in general, it just seems like it's more, and this is maybe the change, it's been more about 
here are the plays we're running, not here are the matchups we want to attack. So you, you mentioned number nine uh, for yep. the defensive line of Rutgers. How do you attack specific players and maximize your opportunities against guys you think you have either an athletic or a technical yeah. advantage of? Well, I'll, I'll speak a little bit just to the upfront uh, gameplay specifically. You know, there are a lot of things you can do. Once you can find out how a defensive line is setting their front, and when I say set the front, I mean where are you putting the three technique, where are you putting the one, the two okay. eye, however your defensive line aligns, and once you find out where number nine is going to be and how he lines up, whether he's a three technique or a two eye this week, then you can do some things formationally as an offense to then predict where number nine is going to be. Okay, if we set up with two tight ends here, we know the three technique will be on the same side, and boom, let's run outside zone at him. Let's run this at him. Uh, and that's really how you take advantage of those different matchups that you like on film. So does that help with then the consistency we've been talking about with the offensive line? Um, again, just looking at the run game, because the pass game is very different. I think that's a very clear issue that they've had consistently of the same exact thing. But week to week, it feels like you might get something different from guys who can do good things. So does, does that is that one way to help with the consistency of those players? Definitely is one way to help with the consistency of players. Uh, players play more confident, they play faster, and you get closer to them playing to their fullest potential when they know that they're in a scheme that they're going to win with. Uh, when they're very confident in the play that's called, uh, who they're running it against, and why, they get to play at full speed. Uh, and really, that's what you got to find a way to get to. I love this. Uh, you know, we're on 99.5 The Bus. We are uh, broadcasting all over the world. Uh, Mexico as well, but also oh. here all over the planet on uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. We got some uh, awesome regulars. Fat Man and Robin will be wild today. <laughs> Fat Man and Robin. That's, that's, that's good. That's, that's the first good. time I've heard that one. I love it. Yeah. I needed to get that on air because that needed to be heard. <laughs> Joe Bot, that was excellent. Outstanding work. Uh, so those tight ends in yeah. the run game, we're going to focus on that here quickly, and then we. Well, I want to get back to digging a little more on the, the pass protection and stuff like that. Um, because this is something I've been thinking about all week. How do you uh, use the tight ends against uh, a front that I think you we've established this is a good front, but I don't know that there are any outstanding athletes. Aaron Lewis is their best defensive lineman. You and I were having the conversation. Is he a defensive tackle? Is he a five technique at the next level? So how do you maximize your athletic advantage, and how do the tight ends play into that? Do you bring more guys into the box, or do you spread out um, to, to – put you know increase the space hopefully for for the box which way it, do you think it's a mix of both and i think there are ways to load up the box still and then get creative and get outside one thing that i'm calling for with aaron lewis specifically or any of those ends that Rutgers has you can shift a tight end from outside back into that pocket of the tackle that y off position that we always see in football and you can have guys chip ends and do different things to get running backs outside we talk about cgat plus runs for the last couple of weeks and we've seen more of it uh from that offense they've done it to uh pretty successful uh, rate, I'd say. They do it pretty well. They're getting more explosive with it. Uh, I think you continue to mix that in. Formationally, getting those tight ends heavily involved in the run game. When I say heavily, you know, don't have them on the backside unnecessarily. When you can have them front running uh, next to Olu or next to Caden and you can run the ball behind them and let them climb to the second level to backers and safeties, that to me is an easy way to get more explosive in the run game. Uh, I've liked the way they've used the tight ends Ironically, like some of the formation stuff where you're putting them in the backfield to use them as a fullback, yep. changing the, the blocking scheme up front, making things a little bit easier on the guards and the center. I, I like that. You know, they never got really anything. To me, the problem was, going back to the passing game, you never then went and did anything from a play-action perspective that felt special from that. You never played off of those things. Play sequencing was a real issue within yep. this offense. It felt like a lot of different concepts thrown into a hat, and then you pull them out to each play so from a yep. passing game perspective going back and looking at the offensive line 
Do you think that was part of the problem that we've seen so far this year is the straight drop back passing game has been straight drop back passing and everyone knows like he's going to be in the pocket you know when they're going to throw yeah. is that predictability causing stress on the 100 percent, 100 percent. as a defender you know anytime you can predict exactly what you're probably going to get in any given situation again you can play faster and you can put yourself in a position to go win those matchups so to me there has to be more creativity on offense you talk about the run run pass rather than the coach Yersich was on uh the predictability that was there and it puts the offensive line in a tough position it puts the receivers in a it puts the entire offense in a tough position when there's yeah. no real rhythm being established. There's no creativity. You talk about the lack of the play-action game. They do call play-action passes. Don't hear me wrong. Yeah, they do. But they have been so weak because of the rhythm of the play calling. And, you know, to me, the biggest testament of the offense being completely out of rhythm is when Drew Aller, who is as talented as anybody in the state of Pennsylvania playing for anybody on this side of the Mississippi, has 70 passing yards in a top-10 matchup. To me, that tells me nobody in the offense is in a rhythm, and that's yeah. why a guy like Mike Yersich is now out of his job yeah and it was ever since James this was something that I was watching during that game and I've talked about this ad nauseum uh, you know James Franklin talked about after the game getting easy passes and I went and I started digging into when Drew Aller was passing the football and we have to be specific that I don't love breaking things down into the two game season because I think that uh, kind of throws away 90% of the college football season and like that's not great either yep. But against the best opponents, when there was clear game pressure, Penn State threw the ball on third and fourth down more than on first down, and uh, I think just a few plays less than on second down. So Drew Aller has to be great. The offensive line has to be great, yep. or else you're off the football field. Yep. You, when you defer doing that, and then that means you're deferring throwing the football until it's too late, and now you're throwing the football in the fourth quarter. So... Drew Aller not being good this year. Drew Aller getting criticism. Bo Perbula needs to be in the game, et cetera. You're not setting up from a style of play perspective, from a game flow pers perspective. You are not setting up anything for him. And then when he has to go do it, it's like, okay, now go be a five-star. Right. What in the how, – and, how do you get somebody to play confident in that situation? Right. And I'll tell you what, you know – they need to give Drew some more creative freedom <clears throat> to go up there and make some checks and adjustments when the time comes. I don't know if that's this season. I don't know if it's next season. Uh, but the offense did not change that much from the time Sean Clifford was quarterbacking and the time Drew Aller was. And one thing you saw with Sean, if you go back and watch the games last year, is there were so many times he get to the line of scrimmage and he would take 10 seconds to snap the ball because yeah. he was making adjustments on the field. And obviously Sean was in the sixth year, but Drew is now a veteran quarterback at this yeah. point. you gotta, you got to put that tag on him. He has to move and walk around that way and take command of that offense and that's on the coaching staff to give him some of that control yeah. and relinquish some of the reins and let him develop into the star that we all think he can be yeah it, it felt like this year specifically there was kind of that tight-fisted approach where everything felt tight and controlled and you saw that play out in specifically nick singleton and uh and drew aller the two most special players on the team yeah. from a talent perspective that is, I think, the story of the offense specifically for 2021, or 2021, wow, uh, 2023. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're, we're great at uh, uh, timelines and specific dates here on, on the tailgate show. Um, so the last thing then to me from a perspective of kind of the offensive line here, you've got a, a veteran unit. Did they live up to the expectations? And I know we're talking like this uh, is the last game of the year. I know we're, we've got another game. It's on Thanksgiving, or excuse me, on Black Friday next week. So 
Like, this is kind of the – it does feel like the last real game of the season because we're sitting outside. Bryce Jordan said come say hi. Um, <laughs> do you think that this offensive line lived up to the expectation of being better than in the past, or were, is it more of the same from that group? That's a, that's a really good question, T. Frank. And, you know, I will, I will answer from the perspective of I was on teams with offensive lines that could neither run protect – nor could they pass protect. And they could do neither one of them at any given time. The 2021 season, I recall, I think it might have been Coach Troutwine's first year where he yep. took over, whatever whatever the situation may have been. I mean, there were literally times where the offensive line was incapable of doing anything in either side uh, of the offense in their play calls, and that was the worst I'd ever seen them. I still yeah. think they progressed this year. You know, there's still a lot left to be desired with that group, especially a group that's headlined by what will probably be a top five pick in Olu Fashnu. Uh, you got Hunter Norzad, Sal Wormley. It's a veteran group, so I expected more. Uh, yeah. to be honest with you. But I do think they did some good things. I hope that's not, you know, received the wrong way. Uh, but, no, I don't think they lived up to those expectations when you look at it from the scope of, hey, you're a veteran group. You've got a ton of guys who we, before the season, thought could be NFL talents. Yeah. And then you got guys like Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. With this significant of a drop-off from their freshman year, to me, you, you just can't check that box off as a win. Yeah, and it was supposed to be – the strength of the offense yep. specifically to make things easier for the running game and to make things easier for the quarterback. And it was, you know, to use the same word inconsistent. And that's a, that's a frustrating thing um, because the other part that you just mentioned is you're losing both tackles. Yep. You're losing your center. Um, Sal might have a decision to make. I don't know if he'll he come may. Back. He's a fifth year. Is he? He may have a COVID year. That's what I'm wondering. I don't really remember specifically. I think he has a COVID year. He might be able to come back if he wants. But you could lose all but one of your offensive linemen um, heading into next year, which you're hoping is another opportunity to make the playoff, and it'll expand to 12, so you, you want to be good. Talent is obviously getting better from a recruiting perspective, but this it's hard to not feel like this was a missed opportunity. And once again, the offensive line not able to lead the team. Yeah. Uh, and... and who does that? I, I hate to do the blame game because it's something that we all – everyone else takes care of that part. Everyone else, <laughs> the fans, the other like – I feel like other uh, reporters, yep. they want to do th – th that's their area. But it does beg the question of what is the missing piece? Because talent for this group overall I don't think was the problem. You know, no. Caden Wallace played better than he has in his entire career. Olu was that guy plus being better at the run game. Hunter Norris had hot and cold, but had elite blocks up front. Yep. J.B. Nelson, super talented. Sal Wormley, big, physical, strong kid. I think on an aggregate, this is a really good offensive line for college, and it just didn't translate. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, questions I'm spitting at you. Do you have any, like, well, way to start this stuff? Well, I would just say the only answer I can really give you that makes sense to me, we, we already talked about it. It's the offense not having any rhythm. No creativity in his play calling. Uh, and really, you talk about an offensive line. The best offensive lines, when they get going, are dominating you in the run game. And you're calling run after run after run. Here's an explosive play, and then we're running the ball. And they get the opportunity to wear guys down. You know, there were a couple games this year where it seemed like the run game was completely abandoned. Like, this group didn't even really have the opportunity to, to showcase and highlight their talent and really put the team on their back and be the strength of the unit uh, like we all thought they would be. Uh, talent was not the issue. Yeah. Uh, I know Coach Troutwine does a very good job getting guys right from the schematics perspective, coaching guys up, preparing them for what they're going to see. To me, it comes back to play calling, and it comes back to letting those guys really play fast and get into a rhythm, and we just didn't see that this year. 
We're going to talk more about the offense coming up in just a little bit because we I want to get to Drew Aller and some of the expectations. We didn't really talk about the passing game for a reason, like I, you know, because like on the hierarchy of needs for this team, it is pretty low. It's pretty low on the list of things you're going to trust. So uh, I think we established the the areas that are going to determine this game for Penn State, which was once again defense and run game. Uh, but coming up next, getting to the end of the regular season. Um, a good season for this team, but transfer portal exists. So how do teams handle that internally? How does a coaching change affect certain players on the roster? I want to get some inside information, if you don't mind spilling some tea. Yeah. Uh, not in specifics, but just generally about how the transfer portal works now and how everything kind of plays out for a team at the end of the season because change is coming. Absolutely 100% change is coming for the Penn State football team. We'll talk about that coming up next on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, powered by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. Penn State's uh, late move on the offensive line. They 6'5", 185. Seems like you, you and I both seem to think lots of potential here. Good arm, right, Fitz? From a from an arm talent perspective, there aren't many better in the uh, 2025 class. Uh, this is a guy that can flat out sling it. Um, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He, like I said, he played as a freshman in Colorado, and then he went to uh, in California. He didn't really play that much, so like he was just like I don't know what to call it a wasted year, but it, it didn't work out. Now he's back in Colorado. He's back, uh, I guess, in a more comfortable situation, and he's putting up numbers. And if you look at that. Um, he, there aren't too many guys who can flick the wrist and, and throw it like him. Like there's, uh, a definitely, um, a, a feeling of, Hey, Malik Washington does this and he's got this sky high ceiling and he can really throw the ball. He can run Matt Zoller's, um, a game or he can run and things like this. This guy is a pure thrower. Like he's, yeah. uh, he doesn't have the athleticism of those other guys. And I think that's probably why his ranking is a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, in terms of just like. Being a thrower, um, he was surprisingly like uh, uh, it, it comes out. I mean, he, he he whips that ball. He was at camp this summer, the the final mini camp um, with Grunk, with uh, Ethan Grunkmeyer. Both of them threw a, a really nice ball. Like I said, there's there's an athletic difference there. Um, yeah. Chris is not not the guy that's going to move around, which is very curious. And I know Penn State doesn't have an offensive coordinator, but like we've talked about how important the quarterback run is to Penn State, and to see them go with what you would typically what we used to go call a purely pro style quarterback is yeah. is interesting to me Six five one eighty five, definitely a lot of room to add muscle and strength onto that frame and already a whippy strong throwing motion so lots of potential there and i guess that's that's the idea that, that a three-star player with a ton of upside you add that player now and then hope to still continue to do work in this class I think so. I think you get you have some sort of a loophole here where you don't have an offensive coordinator. So if you want to take a guy right now, and it's not the same as Bo and Drew because Bo was on board with Kirk Shiraka, and then they made the change, and then uh, Mike Yersich went out and got his own guy and Drew. I mean, it's kind of like that, but it's not exactly the same. So I, I think Penn State's going to continue to recruit other quarterbacks. They're going to, uh, you know, you always want to have as many of those scholarship guys as you can on the roster, but be very interesting to see which direction they go on this because like i said those guys that are closer to home make more sense you know in terms yeah. of, of of really logic if we're just going to go straight on the head um but uh yeah that, that that was uh that was probably the most interesting thing you 
I don't want to say you always set out for two in a class because quarterback can be so volatile in the in yeah. the portal. Like you're always going to lose somebody. You know, Austin Christian Bayer last year. You're always going to lose somebody. Maybe you see it coming. Maybe you don't. But you just want to have you, you. You don't want to be caught sort of with your pants down there um, without uh, without as many scholarship quarterbacks as you want. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a guy that's uh, going to fit into the pro style um, pocket passer quarterback uh, thing more than than the other guy. And maybe, maybe that helps you recruiting another guy, too. That's my biggest opposition. Get out of here, Blake. Welcome back to the Penn State Football Tailgate Show. We are uh, hanging out outside the Bryce Jordan Center, seeing a bunch of old friends. It's senior day. It's kind of the end here for uh, the regular season. Things are winding down before we get to anything. We're going to have this next week, but I just want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, happy holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, a lot of things in this general time to be thankful for. I am super thankful for the opportunity to do this show with Aeneas. And to do this show in general, I think that this has been one of the most fulfilling things that we've been able to do here in the 2023 season um let's talk about uh the end of the season though because a lot of these things are going to be happening very quickly over yeah. the next couple of weeks the season is going to end and then the transfer portal window is going to open so uh, how does the coaching change affect players uh when it's a coordinator maybe not the head coach well everything in college football is relationships man that's something that coach franklin ha has really preached and echoed uh, throughout the years and anytime you got lose a guy like Mike Yersich who has developed these relationships in recruiting specifically you know it, it makes it tough to bring guys in and then also the flip side of it in 2023 the retention uh, in the NIL phase you got to make sure that the guy that you bring in as a replacement uh, is a schematics fit is a guy that meshes with the culture and meshes with the guys on offense uh, to keep them in the house you know I always say the most important players to recruit are the players that are already in your building nowadays no, it can be a bit like free agency That's these days. Rough. It's it's a different era. It's a different <laughs> era. It is what it is. But I will say, you know, there are different teams. Penn State is not one of these teams that will do what it takes to land elite talent uh, in the portal and to convince guys to get in the portal. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's something that Penn State has to keep an eye out for, you know, especially in this era where, again, teams will do whatever it takes. And Penn State is not one of those tools. Um, you got to make sure that you really take the time to build out relationships uh, and get close with these guys. So do you need to keep – how does that relationship work? Because James Franklin has always been talking about how he's transparent with the players. He wants them to hear things first before somebody like me is able yep. to put it out on Twitter. And then all of a sudden it becomes a thing. So it feels like it's underhanded. Um, so how, how much do players get a part of the conversation and how much are they a part of the conversation, if that makes sense. How much How much input do players like, I don't know, Drew Aller have on uh, the, the next offensive coordinator, the style of play you're going to go into? How much are you talking to him about certain things? Like, what is that relationship like with some of your best players yeah. in these situations? Well, it's, it's definitely a conversation to an extent. Um, you know, Drew Aller obviously is as important of a player as there is Penn State football building, uh, and you want to make sure he, before anybody else, is comfortable with the hire and with the schematics that you're going to roll with. But I will say, you know, Coach Franklin is not going to relinquish complete control of who he hires or yeah. fires uh, to a 19-year-old kid. I'm not going to sit here on the air and say that uh, because with my <laughs> luck, he'll find it. It'll come find me. But what I will say is you got to keep Drew Aller happy in 2023. I think he's a Penn Stater through and through, but let's not be naive enough to think that other schools across the country aren't going to take their shot at going and getting Drew Aller. And that he's doing the best thing for his career. No doubt about it. Because, you know, uh, 
NFL aspirations, everyone has them, right? Uh, hell, I had NFL aspirations. They, oh. they died when I was 12, I but was I had say, them. When did those fall off? <laughs> um, very, that, very early. Yeah, and that's that's really the important thing here. I think when you fire Mike Yersich, a part of it is, hey, we want to find the right guy. But another part of it is it is so apparent after last Saturday that Drew can – needs more development and he needs yeah. a coach that's a better fit yep. for him and I know Drew was close with Mike Yersich that's the guy that recruited him uh, and landed him at Penn State so I don't want to discredit him there but Drew does I mean we were talking about him as if he'd be a top five pick one day and yep. that possibility is still very well on the table but it's not going to be on the table if he doesn't get developed and this next year is going to be crucial in that process how much do uh how much do players know when somebody's going to go into the portal I'm like you, you have a teammate, and it's like, yeah, he's gone. How much do you know at this time of year, like this particular game? Oh, man. I, I mean, I would, I'll would, i tell you this. After 2021, by the time we got to week 10, about this time, close to this time of the year, you know exactly. Even if they don't tell you that they're hitting the portal, you can look at guys yeah. and tell when they are checked out and they're moving on and they got to do what's best for their career. Some of it is circumstantial. Uh, I don't think the portal is entirely bad. Yeah. Uh, because there are a lot of guys who leave a big school like Penn State. They go to a smaller pond, and they're able to showcase their talents, and they get the opportunity at the next level. And I think that there, there should be times where that happens for guys, and they go do that. Uh, but I will say it creates a, a culture sometimes you got to be careful of, which is when you get too many guys who are checked out, yeah. uh, they can then, you know, when their negativity can rub off on everybody else. And you got to be careful as a head coach, a coaching staff, to, to mitigate uh, the damage that can come from that as well. Can you talk a guy out of it? Have you ever seen somebody talked out of yeah. going to the portal? You can talk guys out of the portal. A lot of times it's just guys who don't see themselves getting an opportunity at Penn State. Uh, it's easy as a young person, as, as any type of person, to get caught in the woe is me uh, and, yeah. you know, everybody's against me and this and that. And a lot of times it just takes a conversation between a player and a coordinator or a position coach and it's, hey, you're a good player, we believe in you still, but you got these things to work on. And a lot of times young guys want to hear that and it gives them confidence to come back and take another shot at playing at a school like Penn State. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not always as easy to get done as you would think. We're going to take a break. Coming up, the coach's uh, corner here on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, powered by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. The Nittany Lions are coming off of a heartbreaking loss to Michigan, and following that loss, fired their offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich. That means Penn State will be looking for their sixth offensive coordinator under head coach James Franklin. Franklin said that play calling and execution led to the firing of offensive coordinator Mike Yersich. As you can imagine, um, you know, I have conversations about all the things that, that I have concerns about and, and, and more so than I, I speak in, in the press conferences. Um, and I think you guys have heard me come in and talk, whether it's openers, whether it's third down, whether it's starting fast. Um, all those things are things that we've had lengthy discussions about um, and had a plan for. But a lot of times when we got to the games, either uh, we did not call the games that way or we did not execute the games you know, the way we intended them to. So what is Penn State's offense going to look like without Mike Yursich's play calling? Well, Coach Franklin has already named running backs coach Jawan Sider and tight end coach Ty Howell co-offensive coordinators for the remainder of the season. First thing is both Jaywan and Ty already had the titles. They both had the co-coordinator titles. So those two guys will be handling um, the game planning as well as the offensive staff. 
and they're doing a really good job right now. I've been I've been pleased. I think we're a little bit more collaborative right now than than what we've been here recently. Um, and I think it's it's been good. It's been good. Um, so I, I literally just walked out of there. When I get done from here, I'll go back in there. In terms of play calling, um, you know, the, we're going to work that kind of out um, throughout this week and, and on game day, but they'll both have a role in play calling. Coach Franklin thinks he picked the perfect duo to lead the offense for the remainder of the season because of their past experiences and because of their commitment to the team. Penn State is is very important to both of them. I mean, Jay Wan's been here now six years. Um, Ty is obviously a letterman and a grad. Uh, Ty's also called plays before. Jay Wan played quarterback, you know, not only in, in college, but also in the NFL. Um, has that background as well. Um, both have recruited and developed positions that are two of our better positions. Um, so really kind of all those things. I know what I'm going to get from them. I know how collaborative they're going to be uh, with our staff. Um, and I also think they're, they're widely respected by the players. And I think that, that's an important part of this as well. Again, I think they're, they're working really good. You know, we started early this morning and I literally just walked out of there to come over here. Um, and I'll go back in there. But, but those guys are doing a good job. And I think Rutgers is really good on defense, um, but I think we'll have a good plan that will put our guys in the best position to be successful. So what is it going to take for Penn State to take the next step and become a top team in college football? James Franklin has the answers. Every single unit needs to be producing and working at the highest level year-round, 365 days a year. And there's been a lot of hurdles and battles to overcome to get there you know since since we arrived on campus to be honest with you and the reality is we we can't afford not to be thriving in every single one of those areas to be able to beat the people that we need to beat on a consistent basis so for us the most important thing we can do is get the right people into the building and that is staff and that is players and then be able to give them all the support that they need to be successful on a con consistent basis. But the most important thing you do is we're in a people business. We got to get the right people at Penn State that believe in Penn State and what we can do and where we can go. Uh, and then give them all the resources and support that they need to produce at the very, very highest level. right for you Fitz of like here in the chat everyone's bringing up names we know Moorhead and Prabula could be a good situation not going back to the same well of playing the same style playing the same way like evolving the situation and not necessarily having to think of the same guys that you have relationships with but like this is truly a national search for the absolute best player uh, coordinator that you can find um, based on the parameters of the, of the position not necessarily we need to bring in somebody we know because we have that relationship yeah, I mean, you're looking at a spot right now where, you know, Penn State has made the most oftentimes out of what they have. But Ohio State is not in a situation where, you know, I don't think Kyle McCord's lighting the world on fire, but like they're getting the guys that can put them in position to function at the highest level. Penn State, on the other hand, trying to make the most of what they have in the situation. That's a big gap right there. That's a big difference um, in programs there. So 
I, I just, uh, it, it's so tough to say because you can't make a hire based on one guy. They obviously didn't make the Franklin hire based on Hackenberg, which is the, the right decision in the long run. Like that's not, not a situation where you have to go with one guy because this is not a guy that you can sign to a seven year extension, like a, like a pro quarterback. So find a guy that fits. Um, you know, we, we keep going back to the Franklin scheme and the Franklin, um, core, whatever he's going to use as an offense. He's got a loose st- set of standards like i don't i don't think you can look at his offense or look at the 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 ones that he has put together and say this is exactly what he wants to do and he's he's rigid and he's not going to get away from that like that's that's the issue i have this with this whole thing about franklin like uh just like stepping on everybody's toes and every time something goes bad with the offense he is the guy that's running it and nate's smiling because we've had this meddling the word is meddling meddling. and you, you you don't have proof of that and i've Talk to a lot of people that have coached on that sideline, coordinators included. They don't say that that's the case. Now, he's got input. He's a head coach. He better have input. But it's not a situation where he's going out calling, changing play calls, changing strategies and things like that. And that's the toughest thing to get out out from under is because there's this perception out there that he's the guy that's mucking up everything. And I I just that's a that's a crazy way to think about it. And it goes back to the quarterbacks thing because he has never had that top top level guy at the end of the day. You know, he's he's brought in some pretty good quarterbacks and, you know, brought in, brought in Will Levis, who ended up being a draft pick. But there are plenty of marks against him on the quarterback thing. This is the thing that was supposed to get him over the hump. And yeah. there's still a chance that it can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's if you're looking at the the long view and James Franklin making hard decisions, that's that's about you know, not specifically just about Drew, but getting over that hump and developing the quarterback and, and everything that James Franklin said about getting quarterback in rhythm and the issues with the offense this year specifically of not doing things to put Drew Aller in success, in a position to have success. Um, in, in my film room, I talk about the percentage of times Drew Aller was throwing the ball on third and fourth down. If you haven't checked it out, it came out this morning. Like, I was shocked when I saw some of these numbers of, if you want, I put context what James Franklin said about the Michi- Michigan game specifically. This is the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, powered by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships celebrating more than 40 years of service to the community. Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships has a vehicle to fit your budget and transportation need. Home of the $1,000 lowest price guarantee, 19 locations throughout Pennsylvania. So looking at the Big Ten schedule for today. So this segment, I'm just going to give you a little bit of the backstory. Um, when we were talking about how we're going to do the show this year and the importance of talking about other Big Ten games all the way back in, like, July. And it was, well, Penn State's going to be in contention for the Big Ten championship, so we need to keep track of all the tie. Here we are, 8-2. and two. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is Purdue is playing Northwestern today. 
Michigan State at Indiana, Michigan at Maryland. That one is going to be important for a number of reasons. They don't even include the fact that Michigan is in the middle of a title contention run. Illinois at Iowa, Minnesota at Ohio State, Nebraska at Wisconsin. Uh, that Michigan-Maryland game, interesting to you or not interesting to you? Not even remotely interesting to me. Michigan is going to beat the brakes off Maryland at this point in the year. I'm not convinced anymore uh, that Maryland is going to do much with anything. After the Northwestern debacle, uh, after the Penn State game, I think those yeah. guys are checked out. Uh, Minnesota at Ohio State is uh, – uh, Trap game is what you say when you don't know anything about Minnesota. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll call it a trap game, the Gophers versus the Buckeyes, whatever that means at this point. So it's very it, – this is – I guess this is the whole thing. Is like I, I, I alluded to it earlier in the, in the show when we were talking about opposing quarterbacks and the defense really not having a lot to do in the secondary all year because there are only a couple of good teams, like complete teams. And you thought Penn State could be one of those teams, and – they weren't this year. And part of that is the Penn State passing offense, which we're going to talk about now. So uh, what do you want to see from the passing game to end the season? If nothing else, I would love to just see a more comfortable Drew Aller. And I don't think that's just on Drew. I think it's on his receivers finding ways to win. I think that's on the play calling, getting him into a rhythm. Uh, some easy check down throws, some big shots early, on, uh, early in the game, early down in the, in the drive. I think too often – uh, they've relied on Drew to go save them and throw the football on third and longs or in the fourth quarter of football games. Let him start to throw the ball around a little bit earlier, get him comfortable, get him going. To me, if he does that today, that alone is a win. Young players like Caden Saunders have seen mm. the field a little bit more the last couple of weeks, even in, I think, in the, in the Michigan game. What have you seen from those players, if anything, and, and is that part of what are you? What's the balance today of we want to keep as many guys involved as possible, but also it's senior day, so you want to play a lot of those veteran players. Are you going to see a lot of different guys on the field? Yeah, I think you'll see an interesting combination of guys on the field. The young guys, obviously, Caden, one of them, uh, have been able to step in and be able to get some more some more play time. Uh, but especially with it being senior day, you want to keep those seniors on the field as much as possible. Let them soak in Beaver Stadium and that experience. They don't get to come back. Uh, Caden Saunders will get to if he chooses to. Uh, so I think you let the seniors run around a little bit. But, yes, it is important to keep guys checked in at this point in the season. Everybody knows now the Big Ten championships off the table. Obviously, no college football playoff. So how do you guys – how do you keep guys still focused on where they are, where their feet are, and in the moment? And to me, that's getting more guys involved when you have the opportunity to do so. Is it too early? Because uh, you mentioned Drew Aller has been here for two years now, was an early enrollee. So, like, he's going into his third year – uh, on campus in January, second and a half. Is it too early to tell if he is or isn't the guy? Uh, yes. I'll say yes. And the reason I'll say yes is because clearly he was not playing under an offensive coordinator uh, that really was able to put his strengths as, a, as an athlete, as a quarterback, uh, at the forefront and not – not consistently, even if he was able to do so. So to me, it's too early to make that call on him. I still think uh, there's a lot of time for him to develop. Those That next six to 12 months, though, is going to be crucial. And I keep saying that because it's the truth. Yeah. We're going to find out a lot about who Drew Aller is with whoever the new offensive coordinator is, getting him comfortable, the coaches giving him a little bit more freedom uh, yeah. to call some shots at the line of scrimmage pre-snap. 
until we see those things, it's not really even realistic to put a scope or to gauge if Drew Aller is who we've made him out to be. Uh, I think his talent is still evident. When he's at his best, every now and then he'll throw a football and everybody in the room will look at each other and they'll be in shock at what yeah. he was able to do. So his yep. talent level, to me, isn't the question. The question is, James Franklin, are you going to make a hire that's going to put this kid in the best situation possible to be who we've made him out to be? Yeah. And that's yet to be seen. I think you mentioned the red, uh, you know, some of those throws that you go, wow, your jaw hits the floor. In the red zone, he has been that guy. He has been, you know, an excellent football player, finding, diagnosing, attacking, and throwing. And and it's just frustrating, man. I, I'm, I'll admit, and this is just something that I talked about early in the year. I did some digging, and it was very – it wasn't very analytically sound, maybe, but it was just kind of a broad strokes idea of what does a five-star quarterback look like when they're, you know, they get their first opportunity to start. So I went back through, I think, until like 2019, different draft classes. By the way, Bo Nix still playing. <laughs> uh, and other five-star quarterbacks, basically the top three, and then I fudged the numbers to get Drake May in there. Okay. Um, top three quarterbacks consensus in each draft class. And, or recruiting class, excuse me. And the reality was you had uh, usually one guy that was the dude. Like, immediately it all clicks. When he starts, it's great. Some inconclusive guys and then some guys that clearly were not that like going to be an NFL draft pick in the first round. And of that group, they usually threw for 3,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, just a general ballpark of box score numbers. You could rely on them to be a big part of your offense their first year. Now, the caveat is a lot of these guys are Trevor Lawrence, Ohio State, uh, Lincoln Riley, these, these offenses and teams that have five-star talent around them and also have offensive, established offensive philosophies and things that we have proven over time work. That's why I wanted to put Drake May in there. Yeah. Because outside of that kind of bubble. And Drew has fell, fallen way below all of those expectations. And, and it's, you know, when you get into the minutiae of this season, some of the things that I'm really frustrated about, you know, because what have you just said is, is generally – now that we're in, at the end of the season, I was not convinced at the beginning of the season Penn State had a number one wide receiver. I was not convinced that this group really even had a top two because we had not seen consistent uh, elite production or great production from Trey Wallace because he had barely ever played, and Keandre Lambert-Smith had been inconsistent. What happened this year, Aeneas? Well, you bring up a great point, though. You know, we talk about putting Drew in the best position to win. I guess my question is, at Penn State, how do you go into spring ball? How do you then go into the summer, go into fall camp, knowing that you don't have a guy who stepped up as a true number one wide receiver and put Drew in that position? We won't even talk. We've already talked about the play calling. We've talked about what Mike Yersich did and where they have to get better there. But, you know, receiver is not a position where it takes a lot of time to figure out who your guys are. I hate to say that, but it's just the Jahan Dotson from the time he walked on campus in 2018, a three-star kid that nobody knew about was supposed to be the third best receiver in our class. It took us a week. And we were like, this kid is electric. He's yeah. the real deal. K.J. Hamler was the same way. So to me, you got to, as a, as a Penn State football program, a premier program in the country, you have to go get two legitimate, really good wide receivers in the portal as soon as the season ends because it's crucial to this kid's development. He's got to have weapons to throw the football to. And until he does, that big arm, that deadly accuracy that we talk about, that red zone presence that he has as a young player is never going to be talked about on a national scale. He'll never turn into a top 10 pick. And that would be the biggest disservice uh, to Drew, and not only to Drew, but to the Penn State football fans who are excited about this kid and where he could take the program. Yeah. So I think uh, you know the receiver question is a valid one. 
And then just you mentioned this already, but I have talked to player after player this year just about confidence. I've, I've asked you uh, maybe two or three times on this show, like, what's the value of confidence to a player? And how do you get confidence if it feels like when you're looking at the game plan and you're looking at the style of play from this offense that you don't fundamentally trust your quarterback? How does he feel confident if he feels like you don't trust him? And I don't know if he feels that way, but the evidence, the, the product was a guy that didn't look confident from snap to snap, um, from, this, from all the things that we talked about, but then just generally from the, the plan of attack on offense. And I, I, I feel like these are all interconnected. They are. So to me, if there's, there's one thing I think from this particular season to take away from, is that confidence is a hell of a drug, dude. It definitely is. <laughs> and to me, and not to, I know we got to get out here soon, but I will say the biggest difference between last season's offense and this season's offense to me is by the time week three rolled around last year, that offense was so confident. They yeah. were playing confidently. Their offensive line was blocking their tails off. Nick Singleton and Catron, when the offense ran on the field, it wasn't everybody hold their breath. We're nervous about what's going to happen. You knew exactly what you were going to get from that unit, uh, even with a guy like Sean Clifford, who was as polar as it came in terms of Penn State quarterbacks and how Penn State football fans received yeah. them. Uh, it hasn't been the same this year. The offense is not playing confidently. Uh, again, I keep putting a big circle around play calling, yeah. who was designing this Penn State offense and yep. who was making these decisions, because it was evident that regardless of what position you looked at, aside from maybe tight end, nobody was playing as fast as they could. Nobody yeah. was as confident in the plan uh, as you would expect them to be, and that's what's got to change for this offense to finally take that step and catch up with the defense and become a good unit so that Penn State football can have a realistic opportunity at the college football playoff. I'm rambling. You're laughing. No, because I'm, I'm done. No, 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 because no, I'm thinking <laughs> I'm off like. my soapbox, T. Frank. No, it's great because now I'm thinking like, well, can J1 Sider fix that in a week? Well, <laughs> can he and Ty Howell be like, hey, guys, I'm just like just that that coach hug of like I believe you I believe in you listen and and go play with confidence if Jaywan Sider <laughs> figures this thing out in 72 hours you pay the man whatever he wants to be an offensive coordinator you never let him leave happy valley <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens today on the field from a lot of different perspectives I, I do think that like not having Trey Wallace this year was a big thing we saw early sure. in the season that he was a guy that could be counted on um, until he wasn't on the field which has been again going back to what I said he hasn't he hasn't been on the field a whole lot as a player before, and then this year, for a different reason, he wasn't on the field all year. So is there another young guy that can take a step this year? I, I, I didn't want to say it, well, Aeneas, I, because it's literally been the question for 10 weeks. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you straight up like this. Those young guys, there are a lot of young guys in that room who I still think are talented. I think yeah. Liam Clifford is talented. I think Omari Evans. I think Caden Saunders. I think they're all talented kids. You know, there are a lot of talented kids, though. Somebody's got to step up and be the guy, and time is ticking on everybody. I remember when I was a defensive tackle here, I got called into the defensive line room, myself and Judge Culpepper, at the end of the season. And they said, hey, we have a lot of faith in you guys. We think you guys are talented, but you are not where you need to be. And guess what? We're going to get in 2D tackles at the transfer portal. Derek Tangelo's in the NFL now. So this is Penn State. Three, you can be as talented as you want to be, but until you take those steps and you become the guy that they recruited you to be, there's always competition. Your replacement is already getting recruited, whether or not you want to address it or think about it. It is what it is. And I think the receiver room specifically in the spring is a position that fans should be watching because there's going to be a bunch of competition there. And knowing Coach Franklin and knowing his, his belief system and how he operates, he's going to bring guys in that are going to push the room after the debacle that was 2023.
Yeah, uh, that, that I think is pretty clear that the transfer portal is something we've been talking about all this week at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com and on uh, the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. Uh, we've been talking about that a lot. The, the portal's going to be hot for Penn State this year at a couple of positions in the receiver room. There might be a lot of uh, turmoil there internally, externally, uh, intradimensionally. Who knows? Uh, what I do know is that I'm going to keep talking about it uh, until the sun explodes. And you can join us here on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. If you want to subscribe here, we have uh, almost 13,000 people that think that we're good enough to subscribe to. And if you want to subscribe, I've said it six <laughs> times, subscribe to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. We have a special deal just because I love you here on the YouTube channel. Get two months oh. for a dollar. Normally it's a, a month for a dollar, but the, for the YouTube channel specif specifically, PSU1 you use the promo code, you get two months for $1, uh, and that's one U.S. dollar, one, not one euro or yen or whatever. One American dollar. <laughs> Heading into holiday season, you can't get yourself a better present. Coming up next on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, we are giving you our predictions. We're going to talk about how, why, and uh, when is noon. And that's coming up in just a few minutes on the Penn State Football Tailgate Show. I, my, my thing, one thing I will say with Rutgers is I do think the lack of depth at Rutgers is going to kind of start showing up here down the stretch. You know, I was going through like snap counts and things like that yesterday. Rutgers has seven or eight defenders who have played more than 500 snaps so far this year. Penn State doesn't have a single defender who has played more than 500 snaps this year. So just kind of keep those things in mind, or at least that's how I'm thinking this might play out. You know, they just played Ohio State and Iowa. OK, I had the ball for almost 40 minutes in that last game. So, yeah, I think Rutgers uh, has gotten better talent in there. They've done pretty well schematically and all that stuff. But final two games of the season, you've really kind of rode your top players, which Penn State did against Ohio State and Michigan. But they haven't yeah. done that in the other uh, eight games or so. I think that really starts to show here, uh, especially after two games against Ohio State and Iowa. So I think Penn State's offense will have some success. Uh, probably something similar to what we've seen in recent weeks. Slow first quarter, second quarter, pick it up. And we get in that second half, guys get fatigued. Maybe that's when Penn State can uh, open it up a little bit. Fitz, what do you got? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the depth kind of comes along here. And uh, Rutgers is dealing with some bumps and bruises that, you know, are magnified by the lack of depth that they have. So I think it's going to be a situation similar to the first half of the season. You probably see a closer game in the first half. People get frustrated and then sort of flesh that out a little bit in the second half and go with that. I have 26 to six. I don't know how you get there, but like <laughs> it's a good talking point, I guess. Um, so no, I'm very curious to see how this offense uh, goes this weekend, how much the running game changes and how much that, that potentially opens up for some things. You know, I hope they go out and I hope the guy that said 63 to 10 is right. That would be very nice to uh, to see that happen, because that's uh, a little bit of uh, just a, I, we could we could all use an easy one. Right. Just like a you, break. Right. Just something, you know, <laughs> like it's uh, it's it's been like that. So I'd be very curious to see how it goes. I've got 26 to six. Um, and I think that Penn State with the talent gap, with the depth advantages is, is going to be able to do that. And my last parting shot here is. Believe in yourselves, guys. You can blame more than one person. You can blame everybody. Drew's got to be better. The receivers have to be better. The running backs have to be better. The offensive line has to be better. The plays have to be called better. Like there's a lot that that that's where we're at in this offensive scheme is there's a lot of blame to go around. So I, I believe in you guys. You can do it. I I, I love the uh, the predictions that are coming in. 21-3 says Stephen Light. We got uh, KJ Johnson. Everyone's getting their predictions in on the game to 33-16. Uh, by the way, Chris Gelso, who was, I believe, one of our first regulars here on the BWI live show. Uh, he's now a full-fledged 
you know, got the tattoo and everything, message board member at bluewhiteillustrated.com. I had 24-17 or something like that because Penn State offense scoring in the 30s has not been a consistent thing this year. And he said, how do you have Rutgers getting 17 points? So, just so you know, uh, nobody's safe. No point total is safe. And you guys in the chat, I just want you to know, uh, Chris thinks that you're giving way too much credit to the Rutgers offense. And if you want to go tell him about that, there's a way you could do that. Get two months for $1. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Use the promo code PSU1. We are here in the final segment of the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, brought to you by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. This is our final one. I cannot believe we're here, Aeneas. The final one live outside of the Bryce Jordan Center, and I mean... We got one next week on Black Friday, so don't miss that one. But sitting out here with you, everyone who's come up and said hi, thank you to everybody who's come up and said hi. Aeneas, you got a ton of fans. Uh, you're, you're, get, plug your podcast quickly before we get into our prediction. I appreciate the opportunity, T. Frank. If you are looking for a player-led podcast, I do weekly shows with active Penn State football players talking everything player perspective that you would want to hear about the lions then on youtube look it up under state media adam brenneman former penn stater himself uh, is the one that plugged us in there check it out if you haven't building a media empire i gotta be like t frank when i grow up i keep telling them that's the goal <laughs> and i keep telling him you need to aim higher <laughs> let's uh, let's get into some of the predictions about the game yep. uh and i'll stop being all shy and uh and uh, aw shucks about it Let's talk about what you think is going to happen in this game. So, first off, how do you think things are going to go from a flow perspective? I think it's going to be a low-scoring game to start. Uh, I think the defenses from both units are going to shine. It's a colder day, uh, and I think on colder days, the defense typically plays hard. They get the offense on their heels a bit. But I want to give Jaywan Sider and Ty Howe uh, their flowers. I got a lot of belief in them. I know that offense and the guys on it are going to play as hard as possible for those two. Uh, they love them to death, and I know those guys love Penn State. I think the offense eventually gets going. I think Drew Aller uh, plays a little bit pissed off today, which is okay. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Uh, and I think they find a way to put 28 points up. Uh, I don't see Rutgers putting up more than seven today. 28-7, Nittany Lions win. Is it, is it important for the passing game to look good? Or is it important just to get the win and to dominate and, and dominate Rutgers because the certain percentage of the world expects that? Well, I'll tell you what. You got two games coming up. You got Rutgers today, Michigan State next week, two games that you should win. But that bowl game, you're still going to play an elite football team. Some yeah. people are saying Alabama in the Peach Bowl. Uh, you better find a way to get that offense and that pass game going. I think today uh, is another opportunity to do so, and that's how they should go about today. I think it's – yeah, I, I agree. I think it's something that they need to get figured out, and it's something James Franklin made a, uh, a point about, you know, what one of the reasons why this happened is all of the things, not playing well in big games, but also not playing well in big games means not establishing. Hashtag establish the pass. Aeneas, establish the run has been around for 50 years. <laughs> we need to establish the pass. I am done with it. We're going to talk about it. It's going to be a pass on first down. Make your quarterback feel comfortable. Get him into a rhythm. Let him throw some passes where it's like, you know what? We'll get him next time if he's an incomplete pass. Allow the offense to uh, have some breathing room. And the other thing is, and, and maybe I, I uh, overemphasized this last period, and by the way, I don't know how I'm getting colder. This is the last <laughs> segment because my words are barely getting out right now. Um, you're going to avoid your receivers as much as possible in this game, in my opinion. 
that's what I would do. I would be throwing to the tight ends, force-feeding Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. I'm even broken down to the point that I've been saying all year, listen, running back passes aren't as valuable as when you target your receivers. But if your receivers have proven that they're not going to consistently get you those valuable targets, get completions! Just throw the football and have someone catch it and then run for the number of yards you get. At this point, I don't care. We're not going for bet. Don't let good, uh, don't let great get in the way of good. Uh. And this offense needs to just be good in the passing game. So throw to Nick Singleton. Everyone who's been yelling that at me for months now, like, I heard you, I disagreed, but I've been broken down to the point that I, I don't you know. broken Thomas Frank yes. Carr, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, try to, I try to have, like, smart, not analytically, uh, not, not just in analytics, not just go from that, but have that kind of be like, hey, here are the, the smart things about football that make a lot of sense to me, and not be a slave to those things. But, yeah, like, you got to adjust at this point, and um, throwing to the receivers has not been a, a valuable thing. The problem is, to me, Aeneas, is that this is a game where Penn State is going up against the exact kryptonite in the passing game it's gone up against all year. Quarters is a yep. style of play where you can keep a hat in the run game, and you can also play that off coverage where you can start to uh, cheat down on, on Penn State's throwing to the outside. So, like, I would love it if they just dropped the hammer and you were able to... So we have had a massive power surge here on the uh, uh, stage, and I am trying to get you uh, here on the YouTube channel as much as I can. If you can hear me, uh, what we're going to do here is uh, I'm just going to finish up. I hope to God you can hear me. And uh, we're going to get going here on the, pla the Blaze Alexander Family Dealership Tailgate Show, powered by uh, <laughs> the Penn State Football Tailgate Show, powered by Blaze Alexander Family Dealerships. If somebody can drop in the chat if you can hear me or not, that would be fantastic. Uh, we just had a massive power surge, uh, and all of our equipment is dead, but I'm still running here. So hopefully you can hear me. Um, so the last thing I'm going to say is Penn State 24-17. to 17. Like you said, I don't think it's going to be a, a high-scoring game. I don't think this is something where the Penn State offense is going to be able to uh, do something magical in one week so for me and there we go now i can hear myself um i think they just got to look good and to look good they need to be able to throw the ball competently not explosively they need to run the ball as best they can and that's going to be something that i think if you get through those things you'll be able to look good in this game uh we nearly completed the show I want to apologize to everybody uh, out there listening for that technical difficulty that we had here at the very end. Something exploded in the equipment, and uh, we are going to end the show here with that. Aeneas, I know you, nobody can hear you right now, but I want to thank you so much for all of your work. I want to thank you for uh, all the time he puts in. Listen, I, so let me, let me just get on my soapbox once again. 
I uh, appreciate people who put in the work. And Aeneas is willing to watch film with me. He's willing to talk about these things so that when we come up here, we have a natural chemistry that because we've talked about this crap before. He didn't just sit down and say, I'm a former football player. I know what I'm talking about. He puts in the time, the work, the effort. You should absolutely listen to his podcast. You should absolutely uh, follow him on social media and all the things. I want to thank everybody from Seven Mountains Media, everything going on in the background right now. Uh, it's too bad that uh, today's show ended this way, but this has been a fun partnership for me to be a part of uh, here with Blue White Illustrated here on the YouTube channel. We're going to have the post-game show coming up afterwards. Uh, and uh, for everyone here at Seven Mountains Media and Blue White Illustrated, we will talk to you after the game.